Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1316 entitled I Am Iron Manderley. Our podcast title is Dark Pottos. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. All free, <laughs> more or less, mm. free on zero G. Sink me, I'm a poet and I don't know it. Well, Megan, this was kind of your suggestion. Yes. Following along on your uh, penchant for gothic horror, American gothic or British gothic or <laughs> gothic romance, gothic comedy. So, yes, thank you, Rob. I shall introduce, so after my little foray into a bit of rustic mid-American gothic fiction with I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and then we tripped over to Mexican Gothic, which was another book that we covered on Zero G a couple of weeks ago, and that one was a gothic kind of haunted house fiction set in a small city in Mexico that had been colonized by the British miners. And we had a little look at that book. And so, you know, feeling very, I know it's November now, but we were feeling very October-y and a little Halloween-y. And I had my interest in gothic fiction revived. <laughs> and luckily, Netflix was very much on the same page as me and had decided they were going to release their adaptation of Rebecca. So they had been spruiking this on the platform for a while. We'll get to the, that adaptation in a little bit, but I guess I'll lead up into it by Rebecca's origin story. So where we've come from and uh, talk a little bit to the book. So the book, Rebecca, big on university reading lists the world over. So this is when I first read Rebecca. Um, and have you read the book, Rob, or have read it in your time at some point? I think I would have remembered it. So this is one that I actually haven't read. Ah, okay, fun. Okay, I definitely recommend you to read it. I think especially for lovers of gothic novels, it's, I mean, you probably have read it already because it's one of your top ones that you tick off with your Jane Eyres and then pretty much coming right behind is, okay, have you read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Now, this was published in 1938, so it, it, we're talking legit gothic novel, um, so sort of early century novel. Uh, she's an English author. She's an author who you might be familiar with because a lot of her works have been made into films. Notably, Hitchcock has enjoyed making some of Daphne du Maurier's films. Yes, Jamaica and, of course, the one that science fiction and fantasy fans know the most, The Birds. Yes. As, as, so. well, as, as well as Rebecca, of course. 
Mm-mm. So I think the birds is probably one of her uh, more famous ones as well because of the old Hitchcock connection and Jamaica Inn, as you mentioned, and Rebecca. So those are kind of her three Hitchcock overlap pieces of work. But she also wrote the story that the film Don't Look Now is based on. So Don't Look Now haunted me since I saw it. So it's a film by Nicholas Rogue. And based on this story by Daphne du Maurier, and it's set in Venice, you think it's a psychological piece on grief and the family. And it is, but it's also about some horrific business. And it is one of the films that we reviewed when uh, Nicholas died. Mm, Uh, mm. we, We had a look at that one too. It is a really stunningly good film. It's incredible. And there are some, I also studied this film at university. When I say it's haunted me, it's that impactful and it is that well made and it will stay with you. It's got Donald Sutherland in it, Julie Christie. So we'll leave that to the side. Check that out if you're interested. Swerve back to Rebecca. So we've got our classic story, young woman finding her place in the world, not too sure. Now she's a classic unnamed protagonist. And so we never really find out her name until she, of course, marries our, would we say male protagonist? He's still kind of a side character because it's still very much about our young woman character, but Maxim de Winter is the fellow of the story. Yeah, so it's it's in part a sort of romance, but I don't know how much we want to get into the details, but basically our young woman meets a widower and unfortunately, though they have fallen for each other, Maxim, our widower, his former wife, now deceased, Rebecca, our titular character, you know, is is she fully gone from the estate Manderley where they live together? Is her presence still there? How much of an impact is her memory lingering going to have on our young woman as she tries to walk in the footsteps of this Rebecca figure who is mysterious and apparently perfect and just, you know, kind of haunts both Maxim, our husband and also yeah just this imposing figure of the estate as well so that's kind of our premise we're very much mostly set in this one place the mansion Mandalay and uh, of course Rebecca does start off with a very famous first line which I don't want to stuff Uh, which I will find. I should have jotted this down, but it does have a very, very famous first line, something along the lines of, last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay again, and then off we go. So that's kind of the premise of Rebecca, and as I said, perfect material to be made into several different adaptations, uh, not least the one made by Hitchcock in 1940. And, Rob, did you want to talk a little bit to that one? Well, I do. I mean, that's the most famous, and that won an Academy Award, Mm. of course, although that was one of those cases where it was nominated for like a bunch of Oscars. Yeah. And controversially only won the one for the best picture and like the director didn't get one and the screen, you know, all of the other things just sort of got snubbed. And I think that's uh, Hitchcock's only best picture Oscar too for that one. Yeah, so, you know, snubbed often by the Academy, but who cares? He's got some of the most finest films. So was Scorsese for a long time, so, you know. So five different times this has been filmed. The Hitchcock one is probably the most well-known. It's been done on television as a series. It's also been done as a radio play, as a an opera, 
Oh, oh yeah, it's yeah. good operatic, melodramatic material. I can see that working. And the first adaptation of it, once it had been published as a book, was Orson Welles's version in his Campbell Playhouse, which was kind of a, a continuation of the Mercury Theatre on, on the air, you know, the War of the Worlds. He actually got Margaret Sullivan starring as the second Mrs. De Winter. We call her Mrs. De Winter because we've got to call her something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard Herrmann did the score for that, Shades Ooh. of Hitchcock. And then they used that score to build up the score for a 1943 film adaptation of Jane Eyre. So ah. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so all sorts of weird things with that one. But I can also remember another one in 1979, and this was kind of a, a four episode television series where Jeremy Brett, my favourite Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. played Maxim and Joanna David played the second Mrs. De Winter and she was in so many different different shows uh, and Mrs. Danvers was uh, played oh. by Anna Massey who was Jeremy Brett's former wife. <laughs> so, How could I forget Mrs. Danvers? Yes, so Mrs. Yeah. Danvers is of course the housekeeper of Manderley, our imposing estate, and she has uh, somewhat of a bone to pick with the second Mrs. De Winter makes life a bit difficult. Another one in uh, 1997, another television miniseries, which has Charles Dance. I saw that and I was intrigued by that, but not intrigued enough to watch it, I don't think. But it's got Dame Diana Rigg playing Mrs Danvers. You know, it's not really a spoiler, but if I had to cast an ideal actress to play Mrs Danvers, Mm. it would be Ava Green. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she would be spectacular. Yeah. Yeah I, would, yeah. yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, there have been quite a few quite respectable ones, uh, adaptations of Rebecca. So we'll talk about the Hitchcock one in a, in a moment. First, I think we'll play a track here. Rebecca, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'll notice many of the things. Gosh, I hope there's no spoilers in this. Well, damn it, it came out in 1938. I mean, you know? Yeah, I mean, but it did also just come out recently and some people might not be as familiar with it. So be, be still be cautious, but I think we'll proceed anyway. Meg and Dia, fascinating little group actually, and it's just called Rebecca. Hello, I'm Peter Hamilton, author of the Nightstorm Trilogy and the Greg Mandel science fiction novels. When I'm down under, Rob Jan lets me fly the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple RFM. Actually, just between you and me, food's not all that good and the cabins are a little on the cramped side, but hey, I cut my teeth on science fiction conventions so I can't complain. Actually, I want to complain, but Rob won't let me the black-hearted tyrant. What's that you say, Mr Hamilton? This is Mutiny. Back in your boxer, I'll have you keel-hauled without a spacesuit. Hi, Captain. <sighs> Zero G, it doesn't get any better. It just gets over. Yeah, Meg and Dia with their song, Rebecca, which has some dialogue and riffy sort of stuff off of the the film, Rebecca. Probably the, actually the Hitchcock one rather than uh, the Ben Wheatley one, which we're kind of working our way towards at the moment, <laughs> winding our way down that big front drive at mm-hmm. the Mandalay Estate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is an American rock band formed in 2004 and actually quite a long history of relevant information to do with films and things and that actual album is one that i have to really look hard to see the title of something real and here here and here (laughs) (laughs) all right so we are talking about various iterations of daphne du maurier's book rebecca Mm. now going to talk about the 
Alfred Hitchcock adaptation before we get to the Ben Wheatley one. It is worth the tale, and, and I do thank Megan for picking out the Netflix Rebecca to have a look at this week on the show because I've actually never seen the original Hitchcock adaptation ah. all the way through. Mm-hmm. That's a lamentable because <laughs> I, I do love my Alfred movies. Mm. Uh, he, he does actually make an appearance in it. He's near the end somewhere making a phone call and his back's towards us. Ah, uh, classic. <laughs> so this particular adaptation came out in 1940, being a sort of World War II era kind of film. It was particularly important to have these kind of films coming out in that time. Uh, I don't know if this one would have been a morale booster. <laughs> no. <laughs> now this one is uh, got a screenplay by Robert E. Sherwood and Joan Harrison. The producer is David O. Selznick. Our mate yeah. Selznick, yes. Yep. This is Hitchcock's first American film. Mm. So an important one for him. And he's kind of fudged his way through Jamaica Inn before that, which is another Daphne du Maurier story. Neither mm. one of them particularly liked that. No. <laughs> Not the author, not the director. <laughs> but this one he hit it out of the park, I think. Yep. And Mandalay has a pretty big park around it. So this one had Joan Fontaine playing the second Mrs. De Winter. So this is the young lady's companion that Mm -hmm. uh, Maxime De Winter sweeps off her feet Mm -hmm. early on in the piece. And it's got Laurence Olivier playing Mr. De Winter, owner of the magnificent Mandalay estate, Mm -hmm. and Judith, later Dame Judith Anderson, playing Mrs. Danvers, Mm -hmm. the housekeeper of Mandalay. Those are the three pivotal roles in the story. I would also argue we have four characters, the fourth being Mandalay, of course. (laughs) Yes, and quite often they've had to, across the various iterations, it's almost a bit like a TARDIS, of the of the grand estate, they are usually cobbling it together from a number of different other estates. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I think actually maybe um, Ben Wheatley's Rebecca may hold the record for the number of different houses incorporated into the one place. I argue there's actually like six main characters in Rebecca. You've got the first Mrs. De Winter, Rebecca herself, yes. after whom the film is named. You have her husband, Maxime. Then you have the second Mrs. De Winter. Mm-hmm. You have Mrs. Danvers, the housekeeper of Mandalay. Mm-hmm. You also have Jack Favell. Yes. Rebecca's first cousin. Yeah. Who is a very clever character when you unpick him, mm. <laughs> as I, I'm sure many people would like to do. And, of course, Mandalay itself. Yeah. So. There's actually a very interesting t- range of characters in this film. We'll get we'll get into that a bit later. Leo G. Carroll also turns up as a, a doctor, and he is known as um, the character Topper oh. from that Ghost series. And um, but he's been in, in a lot of um, sort of science fiction and fantasy stuff along the way. And also uh, Nigel Bruce is playing Maxime's sister's husband. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, Beatrice is the sister, but Nigel Bruce plays her husband, and he was Basil Rathbone's Dr. Watson. Ah, there you go. Quite famously for many, many years. Anyway, really interesting cast, lots of little ins and outs there, and the cinematography is by the great George Barnes, who 
ran from the silent era quite far into the future after this film, and the music was by Franz Waxman. I can't really say that I enjoyed the music in, in the original Hitchcock movie. There's lots of dramatic beats onto it. Yeah. And, and there are special effects too. So, you know, you know there's lots of matte paintings and uh, a couple of model shots, I think, because ah. Mandel is this, like, vast estate, yeah. so you've got to – work around all of that and it all opens up in fog and rain great sort of atmosphere and i just wanted to mention the the screenwriters for the hitchcock version of course they're adapting demoria's novel Mm -hmm. it's by robert e sherwood who was an american playwright and joan harrison now hitchcock buffs will know quite a bit about joan harrison she became his secretary and later become his constant confidant with scripts and script ideas and went on to become a, a major um, scriptwriter in her own right. She co-wrote uh, Foreign Correspondent in 1940, for example, and she even gets a scene in The Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh. But, yeah, I mean, she's got credits from Rebecca to Jamaica in Dark Waters, Saboteur, and she was a major female scriptwriter mm. and name that should be remembered throughout movie-making history, I believe. Joan Fontaine plays the second Mrs. Yeah. De Winter. She's gorgeous, and it's difficult for her to sort of play down to the timid sort of... Yes, the innocent, the doe in the field, that kind of thing. Yeah, but she does. It's actually a study in that sort of um, acting. Joan de Beauvoir de Havilland, (laughs) Joan Fontaine. So she's one of those great golden age actresses. And she had worked in uh, The Man Who Found Himself and Gunga Din in 1939. Ivanhoe, too, one of my favourite films from the 1950s. And she was even in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea in the 1960s. But she actually is a presence there. And, of course, we never actually have the presence of Rebecca in the film. No, it's it's very famously we don't, I mean, and I'm, I don't want to sort of pretense too much, but I think a key part is we don't, like, let's not see Rebecca. Rebecca is mysterious. I don't want to see Rebecca's face. I don't want to know about, you know, more than I need to kind of vibe. And I, I really like that. They've been very careful to tick all the boxes from the book. There's one bit that they had to make a fairly substantial change in something that happens in the novel to put it on screen in the 1940s because of the Hayes Code. Yes, exactly. They they did shift something to make it allowable in that time period on screen. And I think it's very interesting when you think about, yeah, just the effect it has on narratives and things when you have yeah. these regulations in place. Because in some ways there's a lot of things, because I'm a big Hitchcock buff, you know, looking at these films and this material and then seeing a really contemporary new version of it that can take risks and do things that those films in those days couldn't do. I was like, oh, this is very interesting. How does it make me feel about these characters? So, But we won't say much more because you don't want to spoil anything. Hmm. Suffice to say that it's to do with crime and punishment (laughs) under the the Hayes Code. Watching the version, because it's different from the Ben Wheatley one, watching that in here in the Hitchcock Mm -hmm. movie and looking at it in the Wheatley one, I actually think that the, the change that they've made makes for more sympathetic characters. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the key things is that some of the power imbalances and things shift uh, depending Mm. on the way that you go. Mm. Now, the effect of this um, story basically upon the second Mrs. De Winter is essentially she's almost like a ghost in the house, Mm. you know, because 
she's overshadowed so much mm. by the remnant presence of Rebecca. And I think that's a really complicated way to look at it. I'm not giving too much away by telling you it is not actually a ghost story mm. in the zero-G sense yes, of, a, exactly. of a supernatural haunt. But I actually think if there is such a thing as a ghost, this is how they actually manifest yeah. in the memories, in the mm. physical artefacts, in the reputation, sometimes in paintings, sometimes in photographs, in the physical items that they had around them during their life. Mm. And the, I think the important thing for a good ghost story too is that sense of atmosphere and looming presence and uneasiness. And whether it's ghost or yay or nay, for real, I think if you can set all of that up and, like you said, have that kind of looming presence, that's what makes for a great ghost story on screen. And you're right, it's probably the stuff of what really haunts us in life. Ooh. <laughs> well, you know, this is the essence of gothic horror. And it's helped along by the fact that the 1940 Rebecca is in black and white. I think that makes a big difference because a gothic horror movie, you know, black and white, Yeah, how can you go wrong with that? Yeah. When we get to the Wheatley version, the colour palette stuff, but yeah, I love a good classic black and white. And I, I do tend to agree, stories like this really come up nicely when they're done in that black and white style. There's so many touches in the Hitchcock movie that just, elevate it. Things like a particular sequence is enacted while they're watching home movies. Mm. So the flickering light from the screen is lighting up the faces of the characters and throwing them into shadow when necessary. And the scene changes almost allow you to change the character. There is actually a lot in this movie that reminds me of other Hitchcock movies. Mm. And it's probably one of the reasons why DeMario was a favourite author of Hitchcock's to adapt because he's got this strong, strong emotional and ambiguous psychological stories that run through this contrasted with the big dramatic event and the atmosphere of the place. And Mandalay is like 95% atmosphere. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and we are thinking like Jane Eyre, Northanger Abbey. Mm, yep. And there is a scene in this movie that consistently comes up on top moments of horror in movies. It consistently gets up into the top numbers of, okay. of films. And it is actually shiversome. And you're thinking, Wow. It is actually a piece of work and it's all done basically with just voices and, and faces and, you know, the, the basic raw material of acting. Mm, and you just mm, think, mm. oh, that is so good. And it, it'll stick with me f forever, I think, that particular scene. Look, okay, the character of Mrs. Danvers is so pivotal to this in, entire story that you need somebody who's really good to oh, yeah. play it. And Judith Anderson plays it perfectly in this. I can't give too much away about it, but she inhabits the role mm -hmm. and she knows exactly how to talk to unseen presences, which is to say the form of Rebecca. And I don't mean just talk in language, I mean with body English. Yeah. Mm. In the Hitchcock adaptation, I really feel like Rebecca is there. Yeah. Like I could reach out and touch her. And this is all done through the other actors and the set dresses too, who put all the artifacts around and stuff. Mm. 
it's just gorgeous. So well thought out. And Laurence Olivier does not disappear into the background in, in this strong story. I can tell you that. He is there and he's exactly what he's supposed to be. He's a bit of a Mr. Darcy. He's that dashing, brooding mm. character. A lot older than actually the second Mrs. De Winter as well. Yes. So there's a, there's a thing going on there. And mm. if you look to Daphne du Maurier's own marriage and to her own history, you can see that there are elements that she's picked out. Yeah. Let's minorly mention Jack Favell, the cousin, who is kind of a, a physical, living, breathing stand-in for Rebecca. Mm-mm. That he's related. He shares many of the traits of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And so there he is giving us a physical manifestation. It's a dead clever story. Yeah. That's obviously all down to Daphne du Maurier's yes. novel because I imagine it's kind of very similar in that the Hitchcock one is very, very faithful, but some of the other ones have been too. I also thought there's a really good use of dogs in the Hitchcock yes. adaptation. <laughs> one of Rebecca's yes. dogs has this habit of sitting in front of her old room. Mm, Jasper. Know. Do you remember when we were watching um, Knives Out? Yes, yeah. How I was saying, follow the one element through that film, the baseball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, if you follow the progress of the dog through Rebecca in the Hitchcock one, and to some extent in Ben Wheatley's film too, Mm. you can actually see a change in the dog's reaction to certain characters. Mm. Quite delicate. Anyway, if you have not seen the Alfred Hitchcock Rebecca, I think it's the top Mm, of mm, it. mm. You know, and that's saying something when you've got an adaptation that's got Jeremy Brett playing De Winter mm. you know, and Diana Rigg yeah. playing Mrs. Danvers, you know, all of these different ones. But it's Hitchcock. I, yeah. I think he gets Du Maurier's source material as well. I think he, he puts it on screen the way that it should be put on screen. So, yeah. I'm surprised you haven't read the book, Rob. I really feel like um, I'd be interested to hear your take on it as compared to the film adaptations. Well, it's not that surprising. It's not as out there as most of the stuff that I read. Yeah, it's not strictly genre, as you say. It's more of a gentle gothic fiction, but nonetheless... Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll give it a try. I was happily surprised. Actually, I wasn't surprised that Hitchcock's adaptation would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so let's have another track here. And this is actually from the soundtrack of Ben Wheatley's version of Rebecca, the 2021 that's just dropped on Netflix. It has just dropped, hasn't it? Yeah, it's only been out a couple of weeks maybe. Now, here Ben Wheatley is channeling his British folk horror. Mm-hmm. Roots, I'm sure of it. Yes, totally. <laughs> Absolutely sure. And it's by the great folk band Pentangle. It's from their album Sweet Child, and it's Let No Man Steal Your Time, as in T-H-Y-M-E. So I, I'm feeling like um, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of Wicker Man vibe. Hello, my name's Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number seven. And you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. You tell them, Sylvester McCoy, mm-hmm. another time stealer there. Let no man steal your time, which is by the British folk jazz group Pentangle. So good. Their album Sweet Child is the album. It's from Ben Wheatley's 2020 film, Rebecca, dropped on Netflix recently. Mm. Very much channeling his 
is English folk horror. <laughs> All right, so we've had a, a bit of a, a ramble through the grounds of Alfred Hitchcock's 1940 adaptation of Rebecca and now to mm. Ben Wheatley's yes. modern one. Some of the adaptations have been actually brought up to contemporary times. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, the Hitchcock one was set in the 1940s. Some have been set in the 1970s. This one is back in the 1930s, mm, mm, uh, yeah. somewhere between 1935 and 1938, judging by little bits of evidence in the film. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Ben Wheatley. Mm. Shall I give a little run-up? What caught my eye for this was yeah. obviously as a fan of Rebecca and as a fan of Hitchcock's Rebecca and Gothic fiction, and I saw they were making this adaptation. What also caught my eye, I think we mentioned this on Zero G at the time when sort of the news came out, was obviously Ben Wheatley's attachment. And we've known and loved some of his work in the past. I know for me personally I watched Sightseers, which is a dark comedy of his about a couple travelling around. And I can't even describe to you kind of the premise of that because it's so strange, but let's just say some stuff goes down and it's such a beautifully left of centre, eyebrow-raising little film. And then, of course, A Field in England, which is a film of his that you really loved, Rob. Yeah, it's very surreal. If you put this next to Tarkovsky's Stalker, Mm. You'd probably be in the right zone. <laughs> and then, of course, he did the adaptation of J.G. Ballard's High Rise with our mate Tom Hiddleston. I actually haven't caught that one. Have you? What did you think of that? The DVD is sitting right here on my desk, <laughs> <laughs> along with my Ballard copy of High Rise too, and Kill List too. Go back, going back to that earlier horror mm. movie. Yeah, yeah. Which did feature uh, straw in fields as well, I remember. (laughs) He's got a vibe. He really likes his, as you say, kind of English, middle of nowhere-ish, slightly oddball kinds of films. And so I think this is an interesting choice for him, I thought, when it first came out. He's slated to do Meg 2, The Trench. (laughs) (laughs) We'll watch. Absolutely will watch. Put that on my list. Plus Tomb Raider 2. Oh. Uh, and also In the Earth, which mm, is mm, uh, mm. a straight-out horror movie and, and Freak Shift as well. So he's actually been quite busy lately. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, Netflix gets its little paws on the Rebecca property and signs up, you know, a hot property director to take take it on and then we cut, we have our cast. So I've talked through some of the characters already, so you'll be familiar with some of these names, but... So they're obviously going to cast some young, up-and-coming folks for this. So they went with Lily James, who is British, and we've seen her before. She plays the second Mrs. De Winter, our young woman character, the lady's companion, as she starts the film. And we have seen her before in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which I think is a great film. (laughs) She was also in the drive film Baby Driver, which I really liked by Edgar Wright. And the time-bending Beatles film yesterday, more recently, she was in that. So, And she was also in the Cinderella live action, which I think kind of just flew under the radar a little bit there. She also has a bunch of frock films <laughs> as well as uh, Downton Abbey. Yes, she was in Downton Abbey for a couple of seasons as well. So she's, she's really sort of 
in her early days and getting cast in more and more things. So she's becoming more of a familiar face. And then we also have Maxim de Winter is our counterpart to her. And that's Army Hammer. And I love Army Hammer. Absolutely. We've seen him in probably his breakout was The Social Network. Then he was, of course, in The Man from UNCLE, which we enjoyed. I feel we enjoyed that, didn't we? Ilya Kuryakin is the character he played in that. I think it was a, a pretty decent adaptation of the old man from Uncle series. <laughs> and then we like to breeze on past his role in the Lone Ranger, which was, that was a real mess. I think we covered that on the show and we both agreed it was, it just should not have happened for multiple reasons. And of course he got his start in Veronica Mars. Yay. <laughs> which Des- Rob- <laughs> Desperate Housewives. So, yes, everybody has to start somewhere. And I did see that he's going to be in the Kenneth Branagh uh, upcoming Death on the Nile. So that's pretty exciting. I had mixed feelings about Murder on the Orange Express, but I will watch another one of Branagh's uh, Agatha Christie adaptations. Yes, we need more stash. <laughs> and we've got Keely Hawes playing Beatrice Lacey, the sister of mm-hmm. Maxine. We know her from Tipping the Velvet, High Rise, and the Life on Mars sequel, Ashes to Ashes. Ah, yes. And, of course, she has been in Doctor Who, a Doctor Who episode, mm-hmm. and like practically every other British actor, played the voice of Laura Croft in a lot of video games. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I can see that, actually. And, of course, we did mention before uh, one of our key characters is the Mrs. Danvers character, our harsh and cold housekeeper, and that is played beautifully by Kristen Scott Thomas. I'm having trouble saying Mrs. Danvers and not thinking about Cara Danvers or Carol Danvers, and I know we're not talking about Captain Mandalay. (laughs) So she's, I think, the most well-cast person here, if we're going to go down that road. Uh, Personally, I think she really shone. Mm, Yeah, I agree. I don't know if she works as well as Judith Anderson. I see this is such a hard thing to do, isn't it? You've got to follow Hitchcock's Oscar-winning film. It actually takes some cojones to do that, to go, yeah, I'm going to remake Rebecca. But it's not really a remake. They've just gone back to the book. Exactly. It's it's another adaptation. And you can tell that from some of the things that they've done differently to the Hitchcock version. So other honourable mentions of people in the cast, we've also got Sam Riley, who plays Jack Favell, Rebecca's cousin and spiritual stand-in, and Anne Dowd, who plays a small role at the start of the film, Mrs. Van Hopper, but she is divine. (laughs) She is so good, and she really gives a lot of spirit into that first part of the film before we head off to Mandalay because, of course, the film does start in Monte Carlo where our our young couple, well, our young and, no, in this film it's a young couple, and I think I will shout out now that, I think Army Hammer is too young to play Maxim de Winter. Maxim is meant to be an older widower. That's the whole point. There is a power discrepancy. There is an age discrepancy. There's a class discrepancy. And I think those are core themes of the film. And I didn't really get much of that in this new adaptation. And that's probably my top of mind thought as we go into our discussion of the Netflix version of Rebecca. I don't feel he was as oddly cast as Henry Cavill. In um, Anola Holmes, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It just doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually does disappear into the panelling <laughs> every now and then in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Which is a shame. However, 
Where he does excel, I think, is in the early sequences of the film, when the romance is first burgeoning and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's golden days in the sun by the seaside at Monte Carlo. It's got a physical presence. Mm -hmm. Um, He carries his new bride in upside down uh, across (laughs) the threshold. and You know, it's, it's quite energetic before it all Well, well, that's the thing. Like, it's sort of unfortunate in that that first, the cinematography and production design of the Monte Carlo portion, I would watch a whole movie that's a romantic comedy of them getting together and it being a happy story and they never go to Mandalay and everything's fine. Um, But no, there is a very clear shift where we go from the dreamy Monte Carlo to Mandalay, which is moody and grim and foreboding. But that's the whole point, right? Alas. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I feel like there's a Ben Wheatley horror movie struggling underneath this, Mm -hmm. you know, struggling to get out to make itself more manifest. Got some of Ben Wheatley's odd-looking little folks kicking around the place, you know, like the people who are like the sign, you know, don't step off the pavement sort of people. Yeah. And he uh, does a beautiful job of some of those under the stairs moments, we'll call yeah. them, uh, of the people that work at Mandalay. I actually thought some of that, the, the glimpses into what that life is like. Again, I'd probably watch that film too, another film that's purely about, you know, Floris or whatever her name was working um, as a maid at Mandalay. <laughs> yeah. So there are many other possible films underneath this one. But it is not this film. <laughs> I think that is a real problem in this one. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's, the, the cinematography is wonderful. The sets, the costumes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, I actually think that their masked ball, because it's yep. the biggest state, they have a masked ball, is costumed in excess of some of the other one, adaptations I've seen and some beautiful realisations there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, just a shout out to costuming in general, and I can't do too much about this, but there is a moment of – let's say, costuming angst Mm. that occurs in all of the adaptations and in the book quite famously. And as a costumer, I kind of really appreciate that. That's actually one of the more horrific moments for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's so terrible. That's devastating. (laughs) Definite shout-out to the costuming. So not just that our plot point, which you're right, I think is always executed perfectly. Uh, The costumes in this are so... Good. It's Julian Day who worked on Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody uh, and also Tomb Raider 2 he's working on, so ah, really okay. odd connections there, hmm, um, okay. and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So he's costumed our leading lady. Interesting. Or, our, or is she our leading lady? <laughs> costumed, <laughs> costumed her before. I loved everything that everybody was wearing and I thought it was pitch perfect for the characters and also where the characters are in their journey and creating that mood. Like Army starts out in a yellow linen suit in Monte Carlo and then it just gets better from there. So I definitely agree the costuming, production design, all of that stuff is right on target for this film. There are some other elements that maybe don't hit quite as well, but I think all of that setup is brilliant. I agree. Yeah. But there we sort of kind of leave it really for me. It's not as complex or as emotionally rich. I feel like some of the performances don't quite land the way that they could do. Mm. The way I did it, I watched the Netflix one first and then refreshed my partial memories of the Hitchcock one. Mm. And it still felt to me like the Hitchcock film was the superior film. 
Mm-hmm. For me, I haven't seen the Hitchcock for a long time and I wanted to come to this fresh deliberately because I like the source material and I wanted to view it as its own thing. I think when you're viewing it in comparison to a Hitchcock film, you're setting it up in a pretty interesting way to maybe fail on that point. But I yeah. think if you, if you view it on its own, I I did really like this. I can see why some might find it to be slow, but I thought the tense atmosphere and the slow pace, I liked how it unfolded like that. And I think it was helped by the fact that I like Lily James and I thought she did a good job of anchoring the film for me. And I liked getting into the mood and it felt contemporary while still being kind of set in its time. But I will agree that it's not quite as rich or complex because we are losing some. I didn't feel the class element was palpable here in terms of one of the big themes is Maxim is this rich dude. He's older. He's already had a wife who's died and he's loaded. And then, you know, you've got this young woman who was working for money to be someone's companion and she's young and she's fresh and she's, you know, not rich at all. And I think that sheer difference didn't come out as much, Mm -hmm. um, which I think it lost a little for me. But I also was really happy to spend time in the space of Mandalay and those characters and the creepy hallways and the weird mirror stuff. And so I really did enjoy the film and I, I liked it a lot. But I think as a Rebecca adaptation, it's never going to be top of the pile. Hmm. I felt like Mandalay was almost a little bit, if that's possible, almost a little bit overdone. Oh. It, you know, I mean, it looked almost like Versailles or something like that. You know, <laughs> well, just... But, you know, Rob, it dates back to the Tudors. Like, it's, you know, it's it's fancy pants, but. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, it's a gorgeous production and, and I did appreciate seeing it. Myself, if you've never seen any of these before, I would go for the Hitchcock one first, and then you can transform into colour. <laughs> and actually, when I was saying that um, the golden sunshine and uh, sunny coasts of the early sequences, they actually do work great in colour. Yeah, yeah, yes. Rich, lush, beautiful. Yeah. Well, gosh, Rebecca. <laughs> It's been a strange little excursion into that, and I'm feeling like our long period in lockdown has led mm. to this. <laughs> but, and that's it. We're like we're seeking out material that is purely about isolation and loneliness <laughs> and foreboding. But I, I kind of like it's like when it's raining and you want to read a spooky, rainy book or, or something like that. So, no, I'm very in the mood, and I enjoyed going down this little gothic trail that we've been travelling. So. <laughs> Or up that winding driveway to Mandalay. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of funny when they did Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, they essentially cross-genred uh, Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. with that. And that's what I feel like these gothic romances are. They're cross-genre. Yeah. You know, Northanger Abbey, Jane Eyre, all of those ones that we're not quite in the same normal space. Yeah. And then, I mean, Crimson Peak, a film like that will really just take it to the furthest it can go. I would, I feel like I'm going to go back and rewatch that one, actually, while I'm in my gothic headspace. There's so many things. I've completely missed the opportunity to make a pun upon The Mandalorian. Oh, we should have done them as a combo. <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah. So I think that's probably going to be about it for Zero G for today. 
Yeah, well, we have done Rebecca the Novel by Daphne du Maurier, Rebecca Hitchcock adaptation, and Rebecca Ben Wheatley adaptation now on Netflix. So very Rebecca-y day. She permeates zero G as she does Manderley, the estate. Mm. All right, so just to give you a quick roundup of some things, the Scarlet Witch Vision adaptation, the mm-hmm. television series, uh, WandaVision, has mm-hmm. been accelerated and will now be hitting Disney Plus in January Woo-hoo. 2021. Yeah. So, you know, as we've meander through Donald Trump's decline and fall mm-hmm. at the moment, we've got some things to look forward to Woo-hoo. next year. Look, the United States may sometimes resemble a banana republic, (laughs) and by those sometimes I mean the last four years, but, you know, they put some bloody good entertainment out. (laughs) That's no compensating factor. (laughs) We will also be continuing with our look at The Mandalorian Mm. and Star Trek Discovery. Nice where they're using their spore drive to jump between plot points quickly. (laughs) And also I think we're going to have a look at eventually Moonbase 8. Nice. Another space space comedy, comedy, but this time starring John C. Riley. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm. And probably on next week's show since we prepped it, Dark Shadows, Mm. the original Soap opera, gothic series. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! So we'll go out with a Bowie track here, and I think we will get into an appropriate mood. It's called Shadow Man. (laughs) So it fills off all of our all of our gothic expectations with this. Perhaps not quite thematically, but at least with the title. (laughs) Uh, Until next week. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. All right, Mr. Bowie and Shadow Man. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.